This is TDPS. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And Eric and I aren't just podcasters. And bitches. That's right. We're also authors. And you can buy all of our books at www.thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv and wherever ebooks are sold. At thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv, you can check out my Right Murder mystery series. Or sample my Burning Girl thrillers. The best part is, the more you buy our books, the less likely we'll end up filling the spot with an annoying ad for a napkin that counts your calories. The TDPS Network, alienating potential advertisers one promo at a time. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you're listening to TDPS Presents Christopher and Eric. And Jesus Christ, are we tired. We love you party people, we do. And we like to be real with you. And we're just going to be upfront and tell you, as we've said before many times on the show, it's a podcast, but we call it a show. I don't know um, where else we'd have said it except on the show. We might have said it at our house, but the party people wouldn't have heard that. I hope, unless they bugged our house. If you bugged our house, I hope not. No. Although, it you, could save us a lot of time with making a podcast. Why would you need to bug our house when we just we lay all our shit when out right here we tell you everything you anyway. We don't have okay, any so secrets the, from you. The point I was going to make is that we record these episodes in a, in a bunch because we're busy, man. We got a lot of porn to watch during the week. We can't just be making podcasts for you. Right. Um, we got to write novels and download <clears throat> pornography in our spare time. And we, we really had a lot of technical delays earlier today. We've been recording remotely. And so we're, we're a little delayed. And I don't Somebody know Somebody fed the gremlins after midnight here I, at the studio because oh it has been like pick something. Yeah, and so we're much later in the day than we usually are, and we're a little punchy, and we're a little slap happy, and we're going to do our best. If we fall asleep, just tap on your listening device to wake us back (laughs) up. No, I think this is going to be great because we'll say crazier shit than usual, and I think that's probably why most people listen. Like they're like, or they can we'll watch fall these. asleep, and there'll be fifteen minutes of snoring on the yeah, uh, totally the podcast, which may get us, you know, finally the they'll finally see through us. And why have I been listening to these jerks? <laughs> My favorite part about all of this is that this is not a live show. So if we really wanted to, and this sucks, we could make a better podcast and put it out. We sure we have enough time to prepare one. So that's what will happen. So here's here's the moral of the story, party people, if you're still listening. If you're listening to this, it means it was the best version of the podcast we could possibly do. And it's the best version of True Crime TV Club you're ever going to hear. And it's the best Christopher and Eric that have ever been. God bless or us all. Or Christopher Thank couldn't you, talk night. me into doing this again. I, Eric was too fucking busy lying I just, on the sofa. I, was, I was, would not be convinced. Um, yeah. Whatever the case, this is the show that you're getting, and it's free so far, so stick around. Absolutely. Also, happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. This is our Mother's Day episode. That's when we're first posting happy this. Happy Mother's Day. I love Mother's Day. Why? Because I get a lot of perks. I'm really good at Mother's Day, and so I usually can win the Mother's Day competition. So it's Um, sibling competition day is what you're describing it as? Well, every day is sibling competition day, but I'm particularly Mm -hmm. good at this one. Like, a lot of times, like, it's tough, like... 
mm, Sarah's my sister is right there. And so mm-hmm. she can do stuff that's really very nice and very helpful and loving. So it it's tough, but I can usually like sail in. I've had a couple of really good Mother's Day. So maybe this one won't work. We'll see how it plays out. But right. I'm hopeful. I'm I'm playing for I'm going for the win, babe. Going for the win. And when you say your sister's right there, that means she lives in South Carolina with your parents, which is where they are. It's not where you're from. You're not from South Carolina. You're from Louisiana, as we have, as you have made clear to me many times on this podcast. But she's there, and you're here in beautiful Southern California, land of wildfires and formerly the epicenter of the coronavirus pandemic. So you are limited in what you can do that you can't ship or call or email. Yes. That's all of those things are correct. So we'll see. We'll see. All right. Enough about your family. Uh, let's talk That's about... That's what I say. <laughs> <laughs> We're not going to talk about my family either. We're going to talk about maybe one of the worst families that has ever been. I'm thinking this could possibly be, they could win. It, they really definitely gave it the good college try. These are, this is a terrible little family. So it's another installment of True Crime TV Club, Christopher and Eric's True Crime TV Club. I want to give my usual disclaimer that you should be able to enjoy this, if you enjoy it at all, without having watched the television episode we're going to discuss, because our job is to serve it up for you in such juicy detail that you will feel like you got it all over you anyway. Uh, but, <laughs> I know, right? I was like, how that gross sounded, can I make that? That sounded a little dis- distasteful, but sure. Yeah. It's, you know, we talk about some gross stuff here at the podcast. The got episode- it all over you? Oh. James Patterson's Murder is Forever. The episode is entitled Mother of All Murders. And I, of course, did not put the season and episode number on our show notes because I am such a planning and logistical genius. But well, it's I think there's only one, one season. Episode two. Four, I, think, I think it's episode, episode two. two. Yeah, it is. Episode I think you're right. Two. But it's the first right. season of that. It's only one season and there are not a lot of episodes and. I will say it is. This is James Patterson's first foray into the true crime world that I know of. Um, has he done other true crime things? Uh, he's he's done. He's actually produced a Jeffrey Epstein documentary on Netflix that he appears in oh. briefly. This is him hosting something. It may be the first time he's hosting something. And I, I will say this: it is a really unusual take on this genre. Yeah, it is almost entirely dramatized it is entirely dramatized like there's one or two moments of narration very briefly he speaks at the beginning and my big question my big overall question for the whole episode is what's up with that pie what pie when he speaks right at the first he's sitting at his desk he's talking to you and in front of him on his desk is a pie and i just was like What's up with the pie? And he never comes back, and there's never any explanation. He did reference they were as sweet as cherry pie, so maybe it was a sort of outward sign of that, Oof, but that seems Lord. extreme. Um, who in this was as sweet as cherry pie? Like, who well, that's was he how saying? they seemed. That was his oh, point as he was okay. describing the family. Right. There are these two women, this mother and daughter, and they seemed as sweet as cherry pie, he says, but like... That's really all that happened. So it's the only mention of pie, and it's like, what's up with the pie? Um, That's a good so question. 
Yeah, so that's a really that's my biggest question as that's my biggest takeaway. But yeah, it was it was entirely almost entirely dramatized. Like there were two like really light moments of narration and some um video font right at the end. Um but for the most part it was just acted out and they didn't mm-hmm. do a terrible job. It was creditable. It wasn't re-encraptacular. Um, no, it wasn't. It was it was pretty well done, but it was interesting to see a fiction writer and a novelist take on doing true crime as a, a sort of a, beyond Rena as a dramatization rather than simply as a narrator and a series of facts. My favorite part of that opening you were talking about. So we see the author James Patterson at his desk. If you don't know who James Patterson is, it's likely you haven't been in a bookstore on Amazon or ever flown on a plane because most people on planes before the ever. pandemic were reading James Patterson. He's sitting at his desk and he says, now remember, With this pie. really happened. Now remember, this really happened. And then the f- next thing you see on screen is a title card saying some names have been changed and timelines might have been changed. <laughs> and it's like, okay, so some of it really happened, but not all of it. Um, Springfield, Missouri, June 14th, 2015. This is a title card that we see on screen. A woman is running towards us down as what looks like a suburban street. She is completely freaked out. She is an actress, as we said earlier. This is going to be entirely almost a reenactment. Um, she encounters a younger blonde woman. There's some sort of relationship between them that's not immediately made clear. They have clearly both been drawn to this same house by a message, and they don't initially say to us whether or not what sort of message it is. They say, do you see the message? Yes. You go around the back, the older woman says uh, to the younger one, and then she goes inside where she encounters a broken picture on the ground, and she very slowly and suspensefully and with horror movie lighting and music and syncopation enters one of the bedrooms where and she for sees some reason flood. not turning on the lights even though there's no indication that the power is off right or using a key we don't actually see how she gets inside the house either no that's also a little unexplained so what she sees is a foot sticking out from the foot of the bed and a wheelchair that's been turned over on one side in a panic she calls 911 The camera then pans to a laptop computer where we see the browser open to something that is clearly a (laughs) litigation potential free version of Facebook called Friends Online. And there is a post from someone named D. Jip Blanchard that reads as follows. And this is a direct quote. I slashed that fat pig and raped her sweet, innocent daughter. Her scream was so loud. LOL. And we realize that this is the message that sent both of these terrified women running down their suburban street towards this house. And then we do Eric Shaw Quinn's least favorite thing ever. Ever. We flash back 15 years. And it's not the 15 that he objects to. It is this tired, lazy device of starting at your moment of conflict because you don't have faith in your story and then flashing dramatically back in time to the beginning of the story you are about to tell. And yes. may I just say, you may. I found really astonishing that I actually um, started watching the, uh, the broadcast of this um, 
uh, of the of the of the television series of this on Hulu called The Act. The Act, uh-huh. Um Patricia Arquette, I think it's Patricia yes. Arquette won an Emmy for the performance um in it and it starts exactly the same way. Wow. As this reenactment. Um woman is running down the street, uh Chloe Seven uh, Yes. Chloe is running down the street. She climbs in the window. That's how she gets in. Uh, mm-hmm. She walks through the dark house. She's looking for what's going on. We don't, she doesn't necessarily find anything. And then we flash back to, right. Um, to Louisiana. And it's like, oh, okay. So this is mm-hmm. going to be exactly the same as that. Exactly. Anyway. Golden Meadow, Louisiana, 15 years earlier, we're in a hospital where a doctor is telling two parents about the status of their infant child who is lying in a sort of, what do they call them? Not, are they cribs in hospitals where they have the lucite sort of square over them? I don't know. I think they're, um, it's like an ICU unit for yeah. premature kids, for premature babies. Right. But the baby doesn't look premature. It's very unclear to me what was wrong with the baby or why he was there. And you'll see how that still remained unclear as the show unfolded. Yeah. As the case Um, unfolded. But the mother says to the doctor, do you want me to take down any strange symptoms she has? And the doctor says, yes. And he, the doctor is addressing both parents and the mother intervenes and basically says, I'll take care of it because we're not together anymore. And there is clearly a heavy frost hanging over mother and father in this moment. We hear what at first appears to be a voiceover, but it's actually a dramatized news report that takes us into the next scene where a local news anchor is covering an event that is described in a title card on the screen as the Blanchard family homecoming, homecoming, excuse me. Um, And basically, it's a human interest story on the local news because Habitat for Humanity, I believe, has built either a whole house or they have put a ramp, a wheelchair ramp on this house where... Um, Dee Dee Blanchard, the mother that we saw in the opening scene, now lives with her much older daughter, Gypsy Rose, who is confined to a wheelchair. And that is the baby that we saw in that first moment in the hospital. We then cut to inside the house later that day. Gypsy is on the phone talking to her dad, and he suggests that he come for a visit. And the mom intervenes and says, don't get her hopes up, Rob. And there's clearly continued tension between mother and father in this moment. And Dee Dee finds a reason to cut the call short because she doesn't clearly doesn't like the attention that Gypsy is giving to her father. Piano music plays. That's literally what, <laughs> what I put in my notes, probably to drive home that this my sudden realization that this was going to be entirely reenactments from start to right. finish. Um. We cut however, to another. However, high quality, it's still all reenactments. We are not getting facts. We are just inferring things from watching this drama unfold in front of us. Exactly. Uh, we're then outside the part. It's later in the day. The party at the house is progressing, and Dee Dee is with one of the other moms, who we recognize as the terrified running mom who was running straight towards the camera in the opening scene. Right. <laughs> 
I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. Do you have a question or comment about this podcast? Then come share it with us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the dinner party show, no spaces, and we'll do our best to answer it on the show. Just watch out for our aggrieved manservant, Shea Butters. He moderates the page, and he's been known to talk smack about the two of us. Most of what he says about you is true, though. We can discuss this later. That's right, at Facebook.com slash The Dinner Party Show. No, I meant in the car. So it's later in the day, and I think we're at the same t- party, and Dee Dee is outside talking to a friendly neighbor. And it well, turns actually, out neighbor. <laughs> we're in... Uh, the middle of the continuing, like, it's just later in the day. It's not later in the day in life. It's later in the day in the true Isn't crime TV show that we're talking about. But no, it's like, they, they it sounds, it looked like all these scenes were happening at the party for the wheelchair ramp. Or, oh, who cares? I didn't care that. Let's just keep going. <laughs> who cares? <laughs> it's like, it's so like, she's talking to some woman. <laughs> They're all actresses. It's not who they really are. They're no experts, okay? I, but it, it it's well lit, and the performances are good. So I should give them credit for that. But anyway, okay, I'm sorry. What were you saying? No, it's really okay. You're right. Like it, <laughs> yeah. But it was, but yeah, t- anyway. Yeah, okay. So yeah, they're having a party in the yard at some point, some afternoon, <laughs> at some time. <laughs> right. And the neighbor is trying to get Dee Dee to sort of have a life and to talk. She's talking up the neighborhood and says that people are nice. And it's clear that Dee Dee's entire life is her daughter, Gypsy, who is confined to a wheelchair. And then uh, there's a young woman named Allie who's clearly, I think this is uh, a liberty that the series took. They make Allie the daughter of this friendly neighbor that we saw running towards the house in the opening scene. That's actually also true in the other one in the in the act. So I'm guessing that's the truth. I don't think it's the truth. I looked it up and it looked like it was not the truth. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. I don't know why they would need to. It looked like there were three neighbors in real life that they knew. Allie was real. Allie's mother was involved. And then there was this... Um, I don't know. I, I don't. I might be wrong. The, the, they made up characters in the other one as well, so they, she might yeah. not have been the the daughter. But yeah, Chloe had a daughter in the other one, and uh, who insinuated herself into the child's life, and they, they expanded the relationship to include the mom. Yeah, and so what basically is happening is that. Dee Dee is not branching out and becoming good friends with people, but Gypsy on the other side of the backyard is clearly making a friend who is her age and clearly going to expose her to stuff. While nobody's looking, Gypsy sneaks a cupcake, which she is clearly not supposed to eat, and there is ominous music and close-ups to imply that this is going to be a problem later in the evening. And she eats the whole cupcake just like she's Christopher Rice. Like, it's like <laughs> how can I get this entire cupcake into my mouth in one bite? <laughs> and she gets all but a little bit of blue frosting right at the corner of her mouth. You might want to refer to the pictures of donuts and Christopher eating them that I've posted on, on the web. Look, if it's meant to be eaten, it doesn't want you to fuck around. It wants you to eat it. That's my right? motto in life, okay? It's not just there to lie there. Yeah, exactly. Totally. It's not um, like the plate is so comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So 
the conversation with Allie somewhere around the donut, or excuse me, cupcake sneaking. You see what you're doing to me, Eric Sharquan? It's all my fault. It really Gypsy is. Gypsy reveals that she doesn't know what grade she's in because she's never really been to school. And she seems really old for that to be the truth. Like, she doesn't seem like a grown-up, but she seems way too old not to know yeah. what grade she's like in. Like closing fast on graduation. Yeah. And not knowing what grade she's in. seems It seems like uh, a little contradictory. So cut to a bathroom in the house later that night where Gypsy is vomiting into the toilet bowl and Dee Dee is mothering her gently and asking her if she ate something she shouldn't have. Gypsy confesses to having eaten the cupcake. That's the whole scene. That's actually the scene, what I described for you. Okay, cut to the local hospital where Gypsy and her mother, Dee Dee, are talking with a doctor who is identified by Dr. Ryan, but that's probably not his real name. He asks about Gypsy's seizures. Um, and Dee Dee hands over a log, which has been basically her inventory of all of Gypsy's seizures in the recent months, I presume. And one of the things that's happening with Dee Dee, with all of this, with uh, in and around Gypsy's care, when she's talking to the other mothers at the party, um, with the doctor, is that she has a very sort of performative way of participating mm-hmm. in all of this stuff. It's like she is demonstrating what a great mom she is mm-hmm. by how she, what great care she is taking of her poor, sick uh, daughter who has kind of everything. She's, they're always yeah. listing it. Um, but uh, so, and so she takes very much the same tact with the doctor. The doctor asks for her, all of her medical records. And she says, well, she'll have to call back to Dr. Parker in Louisiana and, uh, get those for him right well and no she says that all of the records um or wait does she say that later she no, gives the that's excuse. later first she okay. acts like she's gonna do it right okay so we go back to the house and gypsy and teenage Allie, her bad influence friend as far as Dee Dee is concerned are uh figuring out social media which always ends in trouble for young people as we know from these true crime and specials. middle-aged people <laughs> people who are dating and people who get political and people who listen to this podcast you know it's just trouble stay off yeah. social media unless you're Except talking about our podcast to us or yes, listening to our podcast in which okay. case that's fine um so she's basically explaining how social media works and dd interrupts and tells Allie she needs to go home <laughs> she's like you need to leave Allie. you're giving uh, her ideas are having a great time get out um so Gypsy, who is starting to get crafty when it comes to her mother's manipulation, says, you and I should make a profile together, Mom. And that way, she can be on the internet, but she can make her mother feel like she's being the hyper-controlling psychopath that she is clearly shaping up to be. So they make a joint profile. And it seemed like this joint profile became another way for Dee Dee to fundraise off of her daughter's supposedly expansive medical ailments. Yeah, she keeps us safe by the bed. The money pours in in the mails all the time, and she cashes the checks and puts the cash in the safe by the bed. Right. There is also an entire linen closet filled with medications. It's unbelievable. Yes. 
And we see Aditi administering an enormous amount of pills to Gypsy, which she clearly is not interested in taking. And the musical score gets really ominous. And as this happens... Ominous? Ominous. It's the end of a long recording day. Um, The camera floats back to the laptop computer where we see the social media profile that they've opened together. And we see an instant message pop up from a guy named Nick. And then we go, we travel through time where a shadowy male is sitting at his computer. Nick Danger, we're going to call him. He's sitting at his computer, typing things out, and we know this is not going to end well. Back to the hospital and Dr. Ryan, where Dr. Ryan informs them that Gypsy's seizure tests were inconclusive. Dee Dee is not happy to hear this, but Dr. Ryan informs her that that's common, apparently, that seizure tests are inconclusive. I don't know enough about seizure tests to tell you, um, but that's basically it. He proposes a new medicine, but he warns them that the side effects are severe. Headaches, nausea, and tooth loss. Which sounds disgusting. Yeah, sounds pretty terrible, but... Dee Dee's all for it. Whatever's going to make her little girl feel better. Also, Dee Dee informs him all of her medical records were lost in Hurricane Katrina. So there won't be any further information from Dr. Parker back home. Um, She's sorry about that, but we'll just have to press on and do our best by a little gypsy. And then she says it doesn't really matter because they all say the same thing. Nobody knows what's making Gypsy sick. Three months later, says the title card on the screen. We're not sure Uh, later than what, but it is three months later. In an extreme close-up, Gypsy, or the actress playing Gypsy, brings her hands to her forehead and there is blood there. She dabs at it and wipes it on a tissue. We see that she's now bald and wrapping a handkerchief over her head to hide her hair loss. In the kitchen, Teenage Allie is over again, and that spells trouble for psychopathic mothers. She asked what happened to Gypsy's hair, and Gypsy says the seizure meds made it all fall out. Then there's a discussion about, I couldn't, I know social media really well, and I had no idea what they were talking about. But Allie says, Gypsy, if you do that on your profile, a lot of boys will be able to contact you, and they might send you weird pictures, which Gypsy is a huge fan of this idea. She's all about boys and weird pictures. And dick pics. What is the what is the feature on social media that you can activate that's like bring me the boys with weird pictures? Like I don't know what I don't know. That Beaver is. cam. Okay. I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. I don't do a lot of social media, uh, but whatever it is, she is dying for connection with the outside world. And I, it is unclear at this point, but I would have to guess that she is beginning. She is suspicious of her mother's motives and her own illnesses mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. again not- because because i watched a couple of uh, episodes of the uh, of the act the way they portray it is she begins experimenting with eating stuff that her mom tells her that she's allergic to mm-hmm. um in fact we find out in the next scene with the doctor that even he thinks she should try that and also, there's there, there's sort of a flat series of flashbacks coming that will reveal to us that more was going on during this period than we're being shown in this part of the documentary, too. So Gypsy definitely has some knowledge that shit is fucked up. 
Um, this was the scene I was really, I cringed and looked away. Gypsy is brushing her teeth. Oh, She's yeah. trying to make sexy faces. And when she goes to spit out her toothbrush, a tooth flies out. This part was so gross, I wrote in my very articulate notes, which we used to make this episode entertaining and spicy. All right. Back but to we only have Alley. so much to work with. So Teenage Alley us. is over again, and they're getting ready to go to the movies for the first time because Dee Dee has finally let them. They're discussing their plans, which involve sitting next to boys. Boys, boys, boys. Boys are Even though they're telling Dee Dee they're going to sit in the back in the uh, wheelchair section. They're on their way out of the house when suddenly, and the camera is at wheelchair point of view, Dee Dee steps around from a doorway and out into the middle of their path and says, I'm sorry, Dr. Ryan called from the hospital and he needs to see us immediately. To which Gypsy says, we can't go to the movies? No, I'm sorry, the movies will be there tomorrow, Dee Dee says. So she doesn't get to go to the movies. Cut to, we're back at that laptop computer again. This time Gypsy is alone and she is chatting with a boy while Dee Dee, oblivious, watches a movie on television nearby. The boy, who is identified through the IM panels as Nick, wants to meet. Nick Danger. Nick Danger. Cut to Dee Dee and Running Mom, where Dee Dee complains about how Gypsy wants to look like a grown-up now. Dee Dee manipulatively complains. When Running Mom says maybe that's okay and she's getting older and she knows she's probably just upset because she's sick and so limited Dee Dee says I'm the invisible one I'm the one in the background I'm the one that nobody cares about I'm the real victim here mm-hmm. yeah. and so further still more insight into Dee Dee the ideal the perfect mom uh, exactly uh, we cut back to a computer screen and this time we are looking at Gypsy and she is dolled up and we are seeing her from some boy's point of view. I bet you it's Nick Danger. She's got a I'm red wig on. on. My money's on Nick Danger, yep. Red wig, halter top. She's dancing around. She's doing pose, poses. We're not seeing the boy's face, which is going to be a trend. Um, uh-oh, in walks Dee Dee. She goes and gets a hammer and comes back into the room. And for a terrifying instant, we think she's going to actually hit Gypsy with it. But instead, she hammers the laptop computer to smithereens. And a title card tells us we are being transported to November 13th, 2014. It's raining and mother and daughter are miserable. They're sitting alone in the house as they've been doing this entire special. And there's a knock on the door and in walk two visitors. They identify, it's a man and a woman. They say they're from the First Church of Kansas City. They ask Gypsy how she's feeling, and Dee Dee intervenes and says her condition is getting worse. The church folks say they've been following her story, uh, which also suggests that Dee Dee has been using that social media account to fundraise and work and people and get in touch with Oh, the she's been churches. using everything. Yeah. The media, the account, the Make-A-Wish Foundation, anything that she can get her hands on, Dee Dee has been using to raise money for that, for them. Yeah. It's kind of her job, and she uses this child to do it. Exactly. And they have brought her a collection that they took up on Gypsy's behalf. Uh, Gypsy is now super pissed and can barely uh, bring herself to thank them. We see Dee Dee go in the other room, count the money, and she puts it in a safe, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's time for a miserable lunch with mother and daughter. 
Dee Dee brings a can of vanilla. I don't know what it was. It just had a straw sticking out of it, and it looked horrible. It looked like Insure or something like that. She gives it to Gypsy, and Gypsy won't drink it. And that pisses Dee Dee off. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And Eric and I aren't just podcasters. And bitches. That's right. We're also authors. And you can buy all of our books at www.thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv and wherever ebooks are sold. At thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv, you can check out my Right Murder mystery series. Or sample my Burning Girl thrillers. The best part is, the more you buy our books, the less likely we'll end up filling the spot with an annoying ad for a napkin that counts your calories. The TDPS Network, alienating potential advertisers one promo at a time. We return to the hospital, and we return to Dr. Ryan. And now Dee Dee is getting upset with the doctor because it's clear she's trying to work him, and the doctor is starting to get suspicious. Uh, he tells her that if Gypsy is refusing to eat, which, Gypsy, uh, which Dee Dee is claiming she is, that Dee Dee should take her off of a restricted diet. And that really makes Dee Dee angry. And then Dr. Ryan drops a bomb because it's getting yes. to be that time in the episode. Remember this? Yes. Yes. This is when it starts, the plot starts to thicken, or at least the the insurer. The insurer starts to thicken. He called her former doctor's office. Dr. Parker. Found, dun, dun, yeah, dun. And they found Gypsy's records after all, and they're going to send them. Dee Dee loses her shit. The jig is almost up. And the next thing we see is an absolutely horrifying scene. This was like horror movie level disturbing of Gypsy being strapped down in a hospital bed and force fed through her mouth. Have you ever seen this done to anybody? Even in a movie? This was horrible. Like it was like they put a, like a tongue separator or something in her mouth. So yeah, there's like a it. rubber block in her mouth to hold her mouth open and keep her from biting her teeth together and biting her tongue and stick a tube down her throat and force food into her stomach. Right. It was very unpleasant. Another title card. Six months later, cut to Gypsy's dad is on the phone with Gypsy and they're talking about a trip that he was supposed to make that got canceled because, quote, Gypsy got sick. He's asking if she'll come visit him. And Gypsy says, absolutely. And she asks if she can bring a friend. And we do a slow pan to Dee Dee overhearing this and being very, very angry, which is what Dee Dee has been for most of the episode. But Dee Dee has... She a has issues. And, but she also has a strategy for winning her daughter's attention back. She wheels yeah. Gypsy into the kitchen and there's a new laptop to replace the hammer-destroyed one. From a hammer-free laptop. <laughs> hammer-free. One of those new intact laptops that doesn't bear the right? marks of a mother's rage. The implication is that Dee Dee needs to give Gypsy some social outlet or she's going to lose her. And Dee Dee comments on how popular their profile has been. So apparently the profile never got taken down because Dee Dee was using it to raise cash. But uh, Gypsy had no access to it because she didn't have a computer. Right. And Gypsy's secret profile didn't get taken down either, as we will soon find out. Absolutely. June 14th, 2015. We are back at the beginning of the episode. We cut back to running mom, tearing down the street towards us. 
Uh, no, I'm sorry. She's in her kitchen. She's not running yet. I, I got ahead of the notes. I apologize. <laughs> she's she just reading alert. very fast. And she's reading really fast. She gets an alert on her phone, and it is the social media message that we saw on the screen earlier that has a message of violence and rape about Gypsy's mom in it. And that's when she starts running. And now we know why she was running. And Allie got the same message, and so she's running too. And they get to the house, and here come the cops. And they discover the crime scene that we saw in the opening. Running mom's name is revealed to be Kimberly Louise Blanchard. I think that's a real name because I remember I went back. A BuzzFeed basically broke this story. And I went back and found the original article, and there was a reference. I knew you to had Kimberly. cheated. That was what I was the question I was avoiding asking <laughs> because this left so many questions unanswered. I knew you were going to cheat. Good. Well, so, and they said specifically that it was no relation. They had the same last name, but I think the Blant, Dee Dee and Gypsy's She even last says name it on the show. E. Yeah, and she says that on the show, and it's from the BuzzFeed article. So she's throwing suspicion on the dad, Rob Blanchard, because she claims that Dee Dee said to her that he abandoned them when uh, Gypsy was just a little girl, and he's not been involved in the family at all. So the or cops, ever sent them a dime. Yeah, never sent them a dime. The homicide detectives show up. They're very homicide detective-y in that reenactment kind of way. They move like they have sticks up their asses. They speak in terse three-sentence, three-word sentences. Excuse me. Uh, they find a bunch of Gypsy's prescription pills, but they don't find Gypsy. And if Gypsy's not there, and she didn't take her medicine, what does that mean? All of their attention in this moment is on Rob, the dad, but then they're in the house and they find an accounting ledger saying that there was $4,400 in that safe we saw Dee Dee loading up earlier with the church collection those people brought her. Again, it raises the question, if they took the money and Gypsy's on the run, why didn't she take the pills? Did she really need the pills? Um, Allie, the friend, is out front. They give her a weird last name that I couldn't catch the spelling of. I think it was Woodman Z. <laughs> Let's go with that. I couldn't find anything in reality. I think the real Allie's last name was Pinier or Pinier. Um, and this is when Allie says the gypsy has been visiting a lot of Christian dating sites, but lately she was only talking to one guy and his name was Nick. Nick Danger. That's really not his name, but we enjoy saying that. Well, and since we learned so little about Nick in the course of the special, but I'll get to that at the end. Um, so it turns out Rob Blancher, uh, Gypsy's dad, has been cutting a child support check to Dee Dee every month for years, and Dee Dee has been cashing them. So her story about being abandoned and him not supporting the family is total crap. And maybe some of the other things she said might be untrue. I think that's where we're headed, Eric Shaw. I think that's what they're implying. A computer tech calls the detectives and say, says, we have examined. Say. Um, and say. <laughs> he say, the he last say. message on the computer <laughs> was from Nick. It all gets back to Nick over and over and over again. And he says and he's on the way. Absolutely. Title card. Title card. Big Bend, Wisconsin. Two days later. There's that mysterious guy we saw tapping away at his computer. Could it be Nick? We see his face now, and guess what? It's Nick. And uh-oh, here comes SWAT cops. Although we'd very... have no way of knowing that because we've never seen him before. I know. The SWAT cops come in. They throw Nick to the floor. They say, where's the girl? And he says, the back room. 
Because that's how people refer to parts of their house when they're not murderers. The back room. The cellar. The dungeon. And sure enough, there's Gypsy. And she is standing up just fine and has absolutely no need for her wheelchair. We're almost at the end. June 16th, 2015. We are in Springfield Police Headquarters. Oh, um, creeps into Christopher's door. <laughs> oh, creeps into... We are almost at the end of a special that has required us to describe a lot of marginally well-acted scenes. Um, the detective well-acted, but almost entirely uninformative scenes. I just... It was like this... Anyway, okay. I, I, I'll, just We'll finish, unload at the end. And then Let we'll talk through. about it. Okay. Uh the detectives asked Gypsy, why was she pretending not to walk? They asked her how many of the pills she was on did she actually need. We get a flashback. Now we see more of the story. Dee Dee was basically forcing the pills down Gypsy's mouth. She didn't need them. And we reveal that the reason we had that shot of Gypsy reaching up and dabbing the blood on her forehead is because her head was bleeding because her mother shaved off her head. She told her the seizure meds would do it anyway, so why not shave her head now? And she did it, even though Gypsy was sobbing and asking her not to. We get another flashback of Dee Dee being told by Gypsy about the tooth that she lost while she was brushing her teeth. And she says, I'm not having seizures. And Dee Dee says, because you're on the medicine that presents them. That's why you're not having seizures. The detective then says, who wrote the social media message? We see then an impressionistic flash of Dee Dee being beaten to death. Gypsy then, in the present, admits to the detective that she posted the message and she did it in hopes that somebody would go and check on her mother. I think Dee Dee was stabbed to death. Was she? There's just a hand flying and a Yeah, we- okay, I think there but, was like, yeah. I think it yeah. was like 40 stab wounds or something. It was pretty, it was a rageful stabbing. Right. So you did care, the detective asked, which was not what I would have asked in that moment. Of course I cared, Gypsy sobs. I was trapped and I just wanted to have a normal life. Detectives go in the other room and do detective talk and speculate that the mother had Munchausen by proxy, which anyone who was watching this could see coming from 3,000 miles away. Space. Four days, or space. Which is further than 3,000 miles away, but it's still the out moon, there. moon, which is 250,000. Yes, it's a long ways. Yes. And now, Chillicothe, Missouri. Is that how you say that? Are we going to get messages about how I think it's Chillicothe. Chillicothe, Missouri. Four days later. I think. I don't know that. If anybody's from Chillicothe and we got it wrong, we're sorry. Write and tell us how to pronounce it correctly. Prison. Gypsy, in an orange jumpsuit, is being brought to a telephone stall so she can talk to her dad on the other side of the glass. He asks her how jail is, (laughs) which I guess is a thing you can ask him. How's jail, daughter of mine? And Gypsy's response, it's better than living with my mother. Title card tells us, on July 5th, 2016, Gypsy was found guilty of second-degree murder. She was sentenced to 10 years in prison. Nicholas Goodjohn, about whom we know absolutely nothing and who actually committed the murder. (laughs) And this is even the first time we've heard his last name. Oh, my God, this special. Nicholas Goodjohn remains in custody while awaiting trial. The judge has set his trial date for November 2018. I did not go and check. I I think he got sent away. 
Uh, police continue to investigate DD's fraudulent abuse of charities for disabled children and Katrina victims. I thought we would never get through that description of scenes. Okay. Uh, you know, well lit. The acting wasn't that bad. Did, but, did, did uh, Gypsy actually have anything ever? I don't think did she, she did. have leukemia. No. When she was a baby. Like, I, I don't know. Because this special didn't tell us. So you didn't like, find out. No, the no. special didn't tell us anything. That's why I was hoping you had cheated, because I was dying to know if what, if anything, she'd ever had. Because apparently she didn't have most of the stuff that Dee Dee was treating her for. And that the big thing was the medication and the treatments that were keeping her sick and keeping her in that way that, you know, people... That disease manifests, that mental health disease manifests itself. But yeah, I was really curious about a lot of things that didn't get answered because they didn't really have any answers in this show. It was about weird acting and not much else. How do you do a show about a murder and have this little information about the actual murder? Like, I know they want to say, they want us to believe that Gypsy completely put this guy up to it, and maybe she, she did, but then I need to see her putting him up to it like it was just or they need to at least assert that that's what people think that she did because none of that is clear we literally jump cut to at well after the murder there is no lead up Mm -hmm. to any of it there's no information and i can't believe that they didn't find anything out from the two of them they neither of them seem like such you know hardened criminals or highly astute types that they just simply wouldn't talk Mm mm-hmm um, or admit to anything. So I'm, I'm sure they have more. There's more information than this has to be available. Okay. But well, yeah, here's here's nothing. the inside. Here's the inside baseball on this installment. We were we had originally thought maybe we were going to do the act on Hulu because we didn't know it wasn't a movie. We realized too late it was like an eight episode series. We didn't have time to watch the episodes. But you watched two of them. Did you glean any more information out of? about the actual case than was offered in this movie? I mean... No, I had more information about this case coming to these specials than I left with. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, I knew more. I knew everything that I know about this crime before I started watching either of the two productions. Mm-hmm. Um, and not, they didn't add anything to my knowledge. Maybe I didn't know she was sentenced to 10 years or it was second degree. Like my big reaction to this was this child is in prison for being imprisoned and tortured by that woman. Mm-hmm. That's not okay with me. Yeah. Like I am not okay. This is like the Menendez trial. I am mm-hmm. not okay with children being tortured by their parents and retaliating in a completely inappropriate way, but they're children. Like, Mm -hmm. and they were held captive and tortured. Like, I'm sorry. I just don't see that as being like, I think that ought to be a viable defense. Mm -hmm. You know, if your dad has been raping you since you were a little boy and one day you kill him, like, hmm, probably not your best judgment call. But like, how good is the judgment of a little boy who's been being raped since he was eight years old Mm -hmm. by his father going to actually turn out to be. And the same is true of this. This little girl was literally being poisoned and held captive by this woman. And she Mm -hmm. was, I think judging from the time frame on the 
the act that I saw, I think she was 22 by the time that this thing actually happened. So she wasn't even a little girl anymore, but she was still being held prisoner and Mm -hmm. poisoned and tortured by this horrible woman. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You said in the act, in the scenes you were seeing, there was a feeding tube attached to her stomach, and she was in forcing her stomach food. that yeah. was so disgusting. I literally, I could not watch another scene of that. I, I, Patricia Arquette's performance is astonishing, but it, it was my impression, and it might have changed, but I didn't feel like there was enough story to last for eight episodes, like mm-hmm. maybe a movie. But I thought this was a case of featureitis, where mm-hmm. they had taken a good pitch for a feature film, because. I think this is a really heinous and heart-stopping story, mm-hmm. but nobody's telling it. Right. Neither of the things I've seen. Now, like I say, eight episodes, I was a long way from hearing any part of the story, but this was like, I, I think it's an interesting approach for Patterson to dramatize the story rather than to tell it. And I, I don't object to that. I, I think they did a nice job. I just think they didn't find a way to include enough facts in the story mm-hmm. or to move the story along fast enough right. for it to actually, because by the time we got to the sentencing, I had only seen her in an orange jumpsuit once for 30 seconds. Right. Yeah. I felt the same And that way. wasn't enough for me. Yeah. I, I, Usually it's symptomatic of like maybe there is enough. So maybe there's too much story and they can't fit it all in. So they make bad editorial choices. But I just could not get past. You are telling me nothing about the exchange that happened between this young woman and this young man that actually led to the murder. The two episodes of of the act that I watched right. were covered in the first 17 minutes of oh, this Jesus. television show. Oh like, that's how much... Like, I just don't think there's that much story there. Like, mm-hmm. she was being tortured. Like, if you want to see her tortured and held prisoner for eight episodes, then I think it's there. But yeah, what's not there, what is not included in either of these tellings, the act, because I didn't get to it, and the James Patterson thing, because they didn't include it, for reasons that I do not understand, was there was a long... Their text exchange would still have been a part. If they could see the other stuff, they could go back and see all of the things they said to each other as she convinced him to come and convinced him that she was being held prisoner and tortured and convinced him to kill her mom. Mm -hmm. Um, All of that would have been an interesting part of the story. Yeah, totally. You know, and I don't know if she was, Didi was really doing those things. It seems like she was. Mm Mm-hmm. But I think there's some inference that maybe she wasn't and G- Gypsy made it up. But Gypsy did not need a wheelchair or any of the medication that she was on. Right. Yeah, totally. She was fine several days later without having taken any of those pills. She was standing and doing fine and probably, you know, making the beast with two backs with old Nick Danger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway. Well, uh, let's be grateful for our own mothers on this Mother's Day. And let's be grateful that Dee Dee Blanchard was not our mother because, oh, my God, what a horror wow, show. Yeah, she was a monster. She was yeah. really a monster. That was, that appears to be the case, whatever, you know, the final. I Again, you know, I'm not saying murder is a good solution, but with somebody who's already a child and, like, just wants to escape, I, I, 
I think we have to make allowances for. Well, yeah. Where does the burning bed defense come in? I mean, right. you know that that famous story. She set her her husband's bed on fire because he kept beating the shit out of her. You know, like she just she was had enough. Going to kill her, so she's afraid he's going to kill her. Herself by why don't we extend that to children who are being so savagely abused that they feel like they have no other choice? And I think we do sometimes. Like the yeah. Menendez brothers were acquitted the first time. Yes, and in the second trial, their testimony about the sexual abuse was not allowed in. And that's when they went away to jail. So, yeah. So, like, you know, if you if you somebody broke into your house and beat up you and your family and was threatening to kill you and you managed to get your hands on a steak knife and cut their throat Mm -hmm. and you were taken to trial for cutting their throat and you included the whole invasion, home invasion and beating up you and your family Mm -hmm. uh, and you got acquitted. And then they took you back to trial and said, well, we're not going to include any of that part about the breaking in the house or beating up you and your family or threatening to kill you. We're just going to introduce the evidence that you cut this guy's throat with a kitchen knife. Mm -hmm. Then yeah, you're going to look really bad. I just think context counts. And yeah. that, this kind of context, particularly with the abuse of children or family members, but children particularly, I just really think ought to be more substantial. I I, I have to think that I, it just seems unjust to me that yeah. this child would be in prison, even if she convinced somebody else to do it. The other young man, I don't know. You have to make your judgment about it. He thought he was rescuing her and he didn't know. Maybe... Mm-hmm. But whatever the case was, the truth was she was being poisoned and held prisoner, and that's not okay. Well, I wonder if the murder case came down to they decided it was just a case of theft. Like they murdered her so that they could steal the money out of the safe as opposed to they felt like they really had to keep Gypsy safe. Like if they had hit the road, how good would Dee Dee have been at actually finding them? She wasn't like a private investigator or a cop, you know. Like, but maybe they said you could have gotten away and protected yourself without murdering your mother. And that's the thing they always say. Why didn't you just run away? That's yeah. always the the question. And it's like, <clears throat> that's really dirty pool. That's really not a fair thing to ask somebody who's being held captive in an abusive relationship. Like, mm-hmm. it is not, they're not thinking rationally. Yeah. Like nobody who's allowing themselves who are, is participating in their own abuse in the way of staying for more yeah. is thinking clearly. So clearly that's assessing them by the standards of somebody who's not being abused is not the same thing. And if you've got a mother who has been able to manipulate multiple medical professionals in this plot against your body, literally a plot against your body, then that's that's the same as being pursued by an aggressive, muscular husband who says, if I can't have you, nobody will, and I'm going to fucking find you, bitch, you know, which is what women have to deal with in some of these situations. Um, and Gypsy loved her mom. Yeah. It was her mom. She loved her. She knew she was doing her wrong, but she did have her own feelings about it. So getting somebody else to do the deed kind of, you know, even that sort of makes sense because... Mm. You couldn't manage. She couldn't figure see herself doing it. Well, anyway, you know, and it's, it's it was this, not the best telling of this story. It's not, but I think it's part of what we do with True Crime TV Club. Like we don't review cases; we review episodes of television. Right. And so we're reviewing this episode of television, and if you know a lot about this case, you can 
slot that opinion into the context we're giving you about this episode. So we don't claim to be experts. They about did a the nice Gypsy job, but they didn't do their best job because no. there was the crime was really not a part of this story, unless you're looking at just the crime of Dee Dee's abuse of this child, which was, I think, significant and important. But they didn't really juxt- they didn't really hold it up against um, Gypsy's rather extreme solution to the problem. Absolutely. Anyway, um, so okay. you know, next time Mr. Patterson show the trial and the investigation too. Absolutely. Okay, this isn't really a correction, but we wanted to sort of fill in a little blank in in something we've been bringing up every now and again. You have made a couple references to a podcast. <laughs> oh god, and for, I kept forgetting to look it up when we talked to you What's the detective's name? Detective John? John Lamberti. We talked to him as part of our conversation about the Billy Newton murder, which is something. Let me get the episode numbers. Episodes 48, 60, 63, and a little bit of 37 are all our coverage of the unsolved murder of William Arnold Newton here in Los and Angeles. And 73 now. And 73. That's right. Good catch. Thank you. Um, um, and I've repeatedly brought up this um, episode. I kept saying Orange County. uh did their own podcast to try as a as a tool. They used a podcast as a tool to catch a criminal. And I had the presence of mind to look it up, finally. Finally. <laughs> and uh, it was the Newport uh, Police Department. They, Newport they Beach, put together yeah. the podcast. You don't have anything further to say about it? Oh, no, I thought you, you were still talking. Asleep? I was actually writing down Newport <laughs> Beach. I was trying not to interrupt my co-host. Newport Beach PD, it was called Countdown <laughs> to Capture. Let me refer to my other notes. Countdown to Capture. Well, we Countdown should look and yes. see if there's like a, an episode out there we can do about it. We should, you know, maybe see if we can talk about yeah, it Yeah, I mean, but it was a really, but the, the thing that really struck us, because we've had some success with our own investigations, and the Michelle McNamara thing is really sort of the unprecedented The gold standard of, for, yeah. The gold standard of, uh, the golden state standard um, uh, of helping uh, advance the actual investigation um, but yeah, it has been so successful that uh, the Newport police actually used a podcast to catch a criminal. They caught him. So um, we'll do some more research into that and maybe we can either find something more about the podcast or at the very least, maybe there's a true crime TV uh, show out there, in which case we can add that to uh, one of our future episodes. But yes, yes, absolutely. Just little housekeeping there. Sorry to have brought that up thirty-two times without ever bothering <laughs> to look the it name up. Of the thing, yeah, it's like that scene from Throw Mama from the Train, that Billy Crystal movie, where they're in writing class and the woman has written the submarine novel and she reads from it and she didn't bother to learn the name of it and she said, "Full speed ahead!" Yelled the captain into the thing. <laughs> With full commitment, but it's always the thing. He pulled down on the thing and said, get my men on board. That's great. All right. We made it through that episode. We were candid with you, our party people, about how how tired we were and how many technical problems our recording day had. But we love you and we wanted to bring you a brand new episode in time. But we also wanted to make excuses in case you thought this episode sucked. (laughs) We wanted to lower your expectations. We wanted to lead with our excuses and lower all expectations of this being. And if you love the show, well, of course, it was great. It was fabulous. We're professionals. Don't try this at home. We need to be tired more. It'll encourage us to let our hair down. Until then, and forever after, I'm Christopher Rice. 
And I'm Eric Shaw-Quinn. And you're listening to TDPS Presents Christopher. And Eric. Thanks. This is TDPS.